Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Good day to you. This is Brad Zockel, and you're listening to the Questions About Heaven podcast. I really appreciate you coming and wanting to learn the scripture as we talk about heaven, the afterlife, God, the Father's home, the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and seeing what the scripture says. And that's especially important today, because we're going to talk about something which has been a constant, constant concern on my different social media as I have been on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and I will have on a regular basis someone that will tell me, no, 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 you keep talking about people dying and go to heaven immediately, and this is not true, that the soul sleeps, that the dead know nothing, that you're not paying attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, and uh, so you have no idea what you're talking about. The theory of these people that would say this in the belief of soul sleep is that the body upon death goes into suspended animation, that no one has gone to heaven yet, and that, for example, from the writings that I uh, have studied, Abraham Lincoln, for example, is a believer in Jesus Christ. And from what I've read, he is a true Christian. If we follow what the soul sleep proponents would say that when Abraham Lincoln died in 1865, his body has been in a state of, his whole being has been in a state of suspended animation ever since then. He has not seen uh, or been near heaven. He is still in the grave waiting. Okay, is this true? If this is true and the proponents of soul sleep hold up dearly, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, then what should the Bible say? If it's in the Bible, is that true? Is this the absolute truth? We're going to take a look and let's go on a walk through the scripture and dedicate this entire podcast. And I hope you're taking notes to write down the truths that we will find in the Bible. You see, when we're going through the Bible like this, this is called exegesis. An exegesis is a critical interpretation of biblical text. It's an explanation, it's an intensive study, and then a critical interpretation of what does the biblical text tell you. That's exegesis. Eisegesis is just the opposite. It is not seeing what the text says. It is inserting a preconceived interpretation into the scripture to get what you want. You might call it cherry-picking, but if you want to have a real good educational word to impress your friends, you would say that when somebody does that, they are guilty of eisegesis. You're going to walk into the scripture, and you are not going to bend from your particular belief, and so you're going to insert that thought. That's eisegesis, and the proponents of soul sleep are guilty of eisegesis. Now, this is a pretty broad thing for me to say, and so I'd better back it up with the whole of Scripture. See, this is what I like. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, it tells us 
that in the end, all will be brought together under the Messiah, under Christ, and we're going to receive that. And that's what we talk about, the entire body of work. What is it saying in the scripture about the blessed one, the Christian, who dies, who has given their life to Jesus Christ and called upon him as Savior and lives for Jesus in anticipation of being at home with God the Father? What does it say when the Christian dies? We see in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 that Paul has said something very curious which piques our interest in this. And he says this, For to me to live here on earth is Christ, and to die is gain. He's saying it's even better than this life. Kerdos is the Greek word. It means advantage, or if you want to use a monetary uh, explanation, it could mean profit. He's saying it's even more profitable to die. Why would he say that if we would believe that the body goes into an indefinite state of soul sleep? He then doubles down, and then he goes, in the two verses later, in verse 23, when he says, to depart this life and to be with Christ is far better. So now he's got our interest because Paul is saying this. Well, we know that 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has been given a vision of heaven. And in that vision, he's seen things, and some of it's so fantastic, he's not allowed to relay back what he had seen. So Paul has this great joy, this great hope, this wondrous belief in the coming of Jesus Christ and in the belief that when we go to heaven at death, we will be right with Christ immediately. Departing this life is to be with Christ. And he also brings this up in his great anxiety and anticipation and preference. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, then what I look forward to is that when I'll be absent from the body, I will be present with the Lord. Think of it once again. I will be absent from this body. I'm present with the Lord. There's no waiting period. Nothing is mentioned in the Bible about this. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. There's a very important passage here which also deals with this. If you can only go to heaven with your body immediately after death, like today, if you were to pass and Jesus has not come back yet, if you were to be in suspended animation, why would it say in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, it is speaking of the assembly of the firstborn. That is talking about the firstborn, Jesus Christ, the protocosts in the Greek, the uh, premier one, Jesus Christ being that one. It is talking about the assembly of the church, the ecclesia. The church is there. And it says that they are enrolled in heaven and they are the spirits of the righteous men made perfect through Jesus Christ. The spirits of righteous men. Right now, the spirits in heaven. I'll remind you in Luke chapter 16, from the very mouth of Jesus. He talks about Lazarus dying, the godly Lazarus as opposed to the wicked rich man. And godly Lazarus dies and is carried by angels immediately into heaven 
where he is comforted. Psalm 73, verses 23 and 24. It is a great hope and a great joy. And the psalmist says, you guide me through this life and afterward you take me into glory. You see that we're not, uh, we're not talking about something that is going to be in a nebulous condition. We're going immediately. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. If there are none in heaven prior to the resurrection, why would it say in Revelation chapter 6, 9 that there are the souls of those who are slain crying out to God and asking for him for justice? The souls, Revelation chapter 6. The spirits, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. We have a lot of scripture that needs to be addressed. And in the danger of eisegesis, those who would hold to the Ecclesiastes 9.5, we will look at that. But in interpreting it the way that you want to have your doctrine, it is very, very faulty. So let me take you on a description of this and a run through Ecclesiastes and take a look at this here, because this is so very, very important for us to be able to look at the passage, which is held up as the pinnacle of the justification of someone going into suspended animation or soul sleep. One of the students at Zulon International Bible Institute, of which I'm a director, his name is Chris Fritz. We had had a study in our teaching about soul sleep. And I had given him an assignment to talk about what does the Bible say? Who holds this up? And where would you come to a conclusion on whether a person, a Christian, dies, goes immediately to heaven or in suspended animation? And then how would we talk about Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5? He wrote back a magnificent report. And I'm going to actually just read this to you maybe uh, pointing out things here and there, but this is so good. In our talk here, I I want you to see this. I want you to understand what it is as he has done some great work into research on this. So I'm just going to give Chris total credit on this part and read this to you in this dealing with Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. Chris writes this in talking about the approach in trying to justify soul sleep through Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. I'm going to start in his report that he gave to me, of which he received an incredibly strong A. And he says this, when you're we're doing that with Ecclesiastes 9, 5, the dead know nothing is what that verse says. The dead know nothing. So they're saying then, obviously, the body has no uh, existence in heaven. He says this, as with every other text that is presented, there are many factors that have been taken into consideration. Author, writing style, point of view, context, the physical or social setting in which it was written, and other things. As one takes such influential factors into account, the meaning and the purpose of text will become clear. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, in fact, all of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's demeanor in modern terminology would be best described at this time as a secular humanist. Point number one, he says, his life is a meaningless attitude. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2 reads, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You see, before I keep reading with uh, what Chris is saying, the entire book of Ecclesiastes could be written, if there is no God, everything is empty. 
And so many Bible uh, teachers would call uh, the book of Ecclesiastes vanity, vanity, all is vanity, without God. And so this is taken from an earthly perspective. If there is no God, everything's empty. Now that's what Chris is saying here in this. You would take a look and read this. If there were no God, what's life worth? You're looking at it as a secular humanist. So let me read his first point again. Solomon is saying his life without God is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1-2 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity or all is empty. Number two, Solomon's admonitions to eat, drink, and enjoy life tell us. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, chapter 10 and verse 9 says, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he takes under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his portion. And then it also says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but many are with all many are wearies in all things. It also continues on, if we're talking of this from an earthly perspective of life without God, just eat and drink. Number three, it also says, if there is no God in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is seemingly indifferent about morality. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 16 and 17 say, Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why should you die before your time? It's just talking about being moral for moral's sake and keeping yourself safe. Then he also says, if this is there is no God, then Solomon's approach on this from the worldly view of a secular humanist, he also says, he shows an apparent denial of an afterlife. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and chapter 9, verses 2 and 3 read, For that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they all have one breath, so that a man has no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. And it also says, All go into one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Do you get the context here? If there is no God, we're just like animals. This is the theme of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5, I'm sorry, number 5. If Solomon does not deny it, he at least admits complete agnosticism about the afterlife. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 22, Solomon states, quote, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Now he's saying that what they're trying to do is trying to change this around. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 10, specifically talking about the afterlife. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 10 said, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. And it also says in there, Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, where you are, whither thou art great. In answer first, we would say, this is Chris talking now, we would say that Solomon, being a worldly person at this point in time, is speaking from his worldview, which was limited to that of the present moment of his existence. But this is opposed by the Christian outlook. Concerning life and death, it gives one a proper perspective on how to understand the passage. Secondly, Solomon is not talking about the afterlife or an annihilation, but speaking about the physical corpses of those who had died and are, quote, in the grave, 
as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. The passages that say there is no knowledge or remembrance after death are speaking of no memory in this world, not of no memory of this world. When critics ask, that's uh, the, the quote that he got at page 259 of the uh, writing, When Critics Ask. One more time. The passages that say there is no knowledge or remembrance after death are speaking of no memory in this world, not of no memory of this world. No knowledge has to do with no knowledge of that which occurs under the sun. The third thing, Chris says, is Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6 also state regarding the dead that neither have they any more a reward, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Chris goes on to say, If the Watchtower Society were to be consistent in its application of this passage, the organization would have to agree with the second part of this passage and disregards its teaching concerning the rewards that Jehovah God will grant to his followers during the resurrection. However, this is completely contrary to Watchtower theology and Christian theology concerning the resurrection. For the Watchtower admits, quote, For millions who have died, the Bible holds out the wonderful hope of resurrection, awakening from death, and living in paradise on earth. Now that's from the Watchtower, the 2004, November 15th uh, uh, article on page 6. It also goes on to say, uh, in a Watchtower writing called, What Does the Bible Really Teach? Page 31. In the coming new world, God will bestow many blessings on mankind. Psalm 37. These verses read, For yet a little while in the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place. It shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein. But he says, thus, if these verses are talking about the condition of life after death, then logically we'd have to conclude that there is no resurrection or reward in an earthly paradise or in heaven. Such reasoning is clearly rejected by the numerous scriptures that speak of the future rewards that await the followers of Christ on resurrection day. In short, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5 refers to a man in relation to life here on earth and is not talking about life after this one. So, when does the soul goes, go to heaven? I'm continuing in Chris's reading. He says, My own study of the Bible has convinced me that our souls or spirits go immediately into the presence of God when we die. Jesus often talked about life going into eternity. He didn't just mean that our loved ones who have died would live on in our memories. He literally meant they would live on forever. Let's look closely at this conversation between Jesus and Martha, the sister of Lazarus who had died. Quote, thy brother shall rise again, Martha answered. I know he shall rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You'll find that in John chapter 11. Martha believed that her brother would rise on the last day of the earth's existence, which the Bible refers to as judgment day. Jesus further comforts her by pointing out that Lazarus would not have to wait that long to experience the joys of eternal life. John 11.26 states, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe this? Our souls go to be with Christ immediately when we die. In that sense, we will never die, even though our body remains here until judgment day. God's missionary, Paul, was in constant danger because of his bold confession about Jesus. He spent a lot of time in court and in prison, and he found comfort in knowing that if he had to die for believing in Jesus, it would be a blessing. 
Philippians 1.23 says, For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart this life and to be with Christ, which is far better. To depart and to be with Christ were simultaneous events. There is no allusion to a long period of time in heaven. Ecclesiastes 12.7 speaks the same way. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The clearest statement comes when Jesus is on the cross next to the dying man, and he says unto Jesus the criminal in Luke chapter 23, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answers, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus puts a time stamp on the soul's trip to heaven with the word today. In conclusion, Chris says, when Jesus gave his life on that very day, he paid for every sin and paved the path to heaven for everybody who puts their trust in him. When he rose from the dead three days later, he secured the promise he had just made to that dying man and to all of us. Jesus turned death from a curse into a blessing, a blessing that starts the moment we close our eyes for the last time. His conclusion, Chris says, the answer to the question if our souls goes to heaven immediately when we die is yes, most definitely. There's no such thing as soul sleep. All this is possible because Jesus Christ took upon himself the death and judgment we deserve when he died on the cross for us. He showed that he has conquered death and hell and Satan forever. There is very little that I have to add to that. Chris has done a wonderful job, and I think that we have given you enough scripture that you can be assured that when your loved one who is a believer in Christ dies, they go to heaven immediately. When my brother passed about seven years ago, the doctor said he had a stroke that was so severe, the quote was from the doctor, that Bruce died, he was actually dead before his body hit the floor. If that is true, then my brother was in heaven before that shell of his existence hit the floor of his home. Bruce was in heaven immediately. And so when we look at this, we are greatly assured, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, to be absent from this body is to be at home with the Lord. And that's immediate. I hope this helped you. And you can use these verses and write them down and be assured of this wonderful, wonderful truth. Let's make sure that we're not guilty of eisegesis, adding what we want. But in exegesis, we find out what the scripture clearly says. Thank you so much, and Lord willing, we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N dot org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.